0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello and welcome to New Books in Gender and Sexuality Studies, a podcast from the New Books Network. I'm Isabel Machado and I'll be your host for this episode. And today I'm talking to Dr. Lawrence LaFontaine Stokes about his new book, Translocas, The Politics of Puerto Rican Drag and Trans Performance, which was published by the University of Michigan Press in 2021. Translocas is an interdisciplinary, autoethnographic, and queer of color performance studies book that focuses on drag and transgender performance and activism in Puerto Rico and its diaspora. Arguing for its political potential, LaFontaine Stokes explores the social and cultural disruptions caused by Latin American and Latinx locas and the various forms of violence to which queer individuals in Puerto Rico and in the U.S. are subjected. The book also invites readers to challenge, question, and expand their knowledge about queer life, drag, trans performance, and Puerto Rican identity in the Caribbean and the diaspora. Dr. Lawrence LaFontaine Stokes is Professor of American Culture, Romance Languages and Literatures, and Women's and Gender Studies at the University of Michigan. Lawrence, welcome to New Books in Gender and Sexuality Studies.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Isabel. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: Oh, I'm so glad that you, you, you could be here with us. But let's, uh, tell us how this book came about, or like I, as I like to say here, tell me your book's origin story.
0: Oh, wow. Um, I was living in New Jersey. I, I am from Puerto Rico, but I was a professor at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. And I was in a seminar on performance. And in fact, I had started to become interested in the field of performance studies after attending the Hemispheric Institute of Performance and Politics Encuentro in Rio de Janeiro in 2000. I had always loved drag um, since the 1990s um, and um, I wrote a dissertation which was mostly about gay and lesbian Puerto Rican culture and it focused a little bit but really not that much on drag. So things kind of came together. I started to become interested in performance studies. I was in a performance studies seminar at the the Center for Critical Analysis of Contemporary Culture at Rutgers University. I have this passion for Puerto Rican drag, a desire to write about, document, and analyze the lives of artists, and it all came together, and it took a really long time, but the project started around 2002, if you can believe it, at first I thought it was an article. I just thought it was an article. But people kept saying, this is really a book. Um, And uh, I made the mistake of thinking that because it was a book, it should include everything. And I took several detours. But to my great delight, the book came out with the University of Michigan Press in 2021. And I'm really happy that it's now out in print.
1: Wonderful. I guess it might be useful for us to uh, define the term. So what or who are the translocas? Is it a practice or an identity? And what are transloca performances?
0: That is a very interesting question because I think that at first I was really thinking of it as a label, uh, an identity, as something funny, as an alternative um, to words like drag or travesti or transformista. And at a certain moment, when it became apparent that some of the artists I, w- were, I was writing about were just not that excited, they, they did not embrace the term. Some of them did, uh, and some of them think it's funny, some of them think it's unusual, but some of them felt that it was more potentially offensive that that's not a word that they use so that that was a really interesting moment in terms of transitioning from playing because play is very much part of this project the same way that humor can very much be part of drag and trans performance so at at that moment it became really useful for me to think it's not about labeling people as translocas although you are free to adopt the word and in fact people in brazil have used the word people in cuba or writing about cuba have used the word Um, it's not necessarily about labeling or self-identifying as a transloca and i'll explain what i mean by that term but it can be about transloca performance. So transloca is a neologism. I meant to tap into the energy of the Spanish language of terms such as travesti and transformista, and even transgenero, but to mark a difference, to to recognize and acknowledge that the English language has a global hegemony but there's also local vernacular usages that resist that imposition of the English language. So loca is a complex word in Spanish. It can be very offensive, but it can also be a community term um, used by effeminate queer men. It can also be an insult. It is also a word that marks... Um, a a woman with mental illness. It is also used to refer to prostitutes. If you go to the dictionary of the Real Academia Española, you're going to see that it's a very complex term that has multiple meanings. And so does the prefix trans. Trans is a term that has been embraced by the transgender community, but trans is also a prefix that is used in relation to geography to migration, to changes, to displacement, to movement. And in fact, in Latin America, there's a long tradition of thinking of um, words with the word trans, like transculture, transculturation, transnation, transmigration, translocality. So in coming up, uh, this word, which I thought I had invented the word um, Transloca. And it turns out there were other people also um, using it at the same time. So that is one of the things that I point out. For example, Lionel Camtu had proposed the term Transloca to a group of feminist Latin American and Latina um, scholars working in translation. So they were using it to talk about the tensions that feminists, especially feminist women, face when they try to write about Latin America in a critical way. In my case, it was always much more about queerness, although in my book there are also um, cisgender women, like Erica Lopez. So it is not a term that is only relevant for gay men or transgender women. I really envision the term as more expansive, uh, and th- that is the proposal, to use this framework or this concept to talk about Puerto Rican artists in Puerto Rico and in the United States and to see how they bring together or challenge issues of gender, sexuality, nationality, geography, migration, race, religion, culture, entertainment. So, so that's, that's the goal of the book. That's what I try to do.
1: So speaking of language, one of the the sections here that really, uh, you know, resonated with me, it's something I've been trying to figure out in my own work and that I really enjoyed how you, when you question, and this, uh, I'm going to quote you here, these universalizing discourses that see English language terms such as gay or queer or trans as generalizable symbols of progress and modernity eclipsing local vernacular conceptions. And I think you do this uh, really uh, beautifully here. So I wanted to know this how, you know you negotiated this while writing a book in English for US publishers. But uh, how do we speak in and write in a way that's accessible to people in different parts of the globe? But also respecting local terminology and experiences, and this is something you do in the book. So I would like, you to, and you sort of mentioned this in your previous answer, but could you talk a little bit more about that?
0: Oh yes, of course, and and I think that is really at the heart of the book. This book is really about bridging translating and raising awareness of the centrality and the complexity of language. So first of all, challenging the hegemony of English because many times in the United States, in the English speaking world, there is a perception that uh, the terms that become current in the English language have to be embraced uh, globally, universally, and sometimes that is the case if you think of the way that the word gay has been embraced or even trans and transgender, but I am from Puerto Rico. I am from a colony of the United States. I was raised bilingual in Puerto Rico. We speak Spanish. To be queer and trans in Puerto Rico is very much about using specific terms and vernacular. And I I am very much in conversation, in dialogue with scholars in Latin America, in Brazil, in the Spanish and Portuguese speaking world. So for me, it's it's really in, it was really fundamental um, to to mark that tension to negotiate that tension. I love dictionaries. I, I love the history of words in both languages and sort of teasing that out. So teasing out. So for example, how "loca" in French is "fol," and everybody or many people are familiar with Lacage or "fol." Um, so to realize that the same concept, this bringing together of female madness and queerness also happens um, in France, for example. It happens in Spanish. It happens in English, if you think of terms that are somewhat stigmatized, but that activists and scholars have also tried to recuperate. It's the history of the recuperation of the word queer. But if you look at Matilda Bernstein Sycamore's work, it is also the recuperation of the term faggot. Faggot as a term that challenges the homonormativity, the integration of gay into the American and global mainstream. So those are some of the things that I try to do, Um, pointing out the specificity of Caribbean Spanish, how Puerto Ricans and other Latinx Caribbean migrants, we are bilingual. We move back and forth from English to Spanish. Hablamos um, español, también hablamos inglés. We speak Spanglish, <laughs> and um, and that that complexity is is fundamental to understand what happens in queer and trans Puerto Rican performance in the United States, in Puerto Rico, and not only performance because I look at activism. I look at film, I look at literature. The book is really positioned as a performance studies project, but I come from a literary studies background, so I still bring that with me, that interest in literature, in film, in pointing out how a person like Mayra Santos Febres in her 2000 novel Sirena Selena Vestida de Pena really provides a lens. Not only that, Mayra Santos has been... Um, An intellectual that has really highlighted the centrality of drag performance, the same way that somebody like Severo Sarduy, who was Cuban, writing in France in the 1960s and 70s and 80s until he died from AIDS. He was also marking that centrality of transvestism, of language and of art to understand Caribbean culture.
1: Yeah, I've lost count of how many times I told people not to translate travesti or travesti to transvestite. It means something else. It, it Just leave the word as it is.
0: Right. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's very important uh, because because there's many subtleties that are lost in translation. Translation is fundamental. We rely, we need translation. In fact, not only translation from Spanish and Portuguese into English, but also from English to Spanish and Portuguese. And sometimes like half of that equation gets lost. So I really, that, I really see my work, my work coming from that space, that space in between, that space of bridging. If you want to think of Gloria Anzaldu and Saldua and Shiri Moragas, this bridge called my back, because I think for feminism, for women of color feminism, for Latin American feminism, translation is also crucial. And then speaking about translocas and the trans, so translation is as much part of translocas as geography, migration, gender, and sexuality.
1: Yes. Uh, Well, you say here that uh, drag and trans performance matters to our uh, conceptions of Puerto Ricaness and Latinidad. Why is that?
0: Wow. Well, first of all, <laughs> I'm just trying to convince people um, to get them to realize that these are not simply forms of entertainment, that they are not simply visual arts or theater. They are that, but they are so much more. Or that in and of itself is, is also about creating the possibility about talking about very serious very complex topics, and and, I mean, that's why the subtitle of the book appeals to politics, because art, performance, video, film can be spaces to discuss the most profound social issues in a different way. Which is not to say that social science research, that essays, that journalism aren't fundamental, but artists are also part of that conversation. If you think, for example, of somebody like Javier Cardona, who in his piece, You Don't Look Like, is really challenging uh, the assumptions about race in Puerto Rico and racism in the media industry. If you think of somebody like Silvia Rivera, who since the late 1960s and early 1970s has been challenging the gay and lesbian movement for its racism and for its exclusion of trans people, we are living in a really fascinating moment in 2021 in terms of the visibility of the transgender movement. but That, that visibility has really been um, more than 50 years in the making. So Silvia Rivera was a Puerto Rican Venezuelan activist who was at Stonewall and became especially important and famous after after Stonewall in 1970 and more recently. So I'm really interested in tying all of these pieces together, tying somebody like Nina Flowers performing on RuPaul's Drag Race in 2009 with the legacy of Silvia Rivera from 1969 and 1970 with what younger people are doing and not only doing on stage, but also the violence they are experiencing. So, for example, for me, it was very important to talk about the murders of Jorge Steven Lopez Mercado and, more recently, in 2019, of Kevin Frett, specifically, because they were young people who challenged conceptions of gender and sexuality and they paid with their lives. In in other words, there's still a lot of work to do to transform society, to overcome homophobia, lesbophobia, transphobia— These are very serious issues, and art, performance, theater, and literature can form part of that conversation to transform society, to document society the way it is, but also to challenge and to educate and to help us create a better world.
1: Exactly. (laughs) as I mentioned, the book also has uh, an auto-ethnographic component. And so there's some self-reflexivity here. And uh, you describe yourself, there's a passage where you describe yourself that I really love. So I'll share it here. You talk about yourself as a diasporic translocal, and exaggeratedly bilingual Midwestern transloca, a writer and college professor who occasionally performs in drag on stage and online. So I'd like uh, you to tell us a bit about your own experience and journey as a drag performer or as a transloca. Who is Lola von Miramar? When was she born? How is she like?
0: Um. Thank you. So it's a funny story and, uh, So when I started this project in the early 2000s, I was really excited just to be a fan, a fan of drag. I I love going to drag shows and I love to, uh, well, first of all, I just love to go to the shows. and And then I realized I want to write about these artists because they're extraordinary and people are not writing about them. So that was step number one. And then what happened in 2010 is that the Puerto Rican artist Fausto Fernos, who lives in Chicago, invited me or his uh, Mark Felian, Fausto Fernos and Fernos invited me to form part of a YouTube series they were envisioning called Cooking with Drag Queens. So they invited me to record the premiere episode. And I had never really done drag. Um, I had maybe I had gone to a costume party, but that was about it. Uh, and but they thought it would be hilarious to dress me in drag. Um, but they also just thought that it would be fun and that it would be par- I, it made no sense to them. You are writing about drag, but you never do drag. You don't know how to do drag makeup, but you want to write about other people who do drag makeup. So for me, it was a very transformative experience. I really appreciate. I'm very thankful to Fausto and Mark for inviting me to Chicago, for telling me what I needed to do. They said, get yourself a wig, get a dress, get on the bus, get to Chicago um I, I i literally knew nothing about the specificity of of girdles and high heels and wigs and you know, drag makeup is theatrical makeup it's quite complex uh i do not have a theater performance background uh, i i have a phd in spanish um so so that that experience of um, of practicing, of, of learning, of researching through practice. That was very new to me. I had been very happy being simply a spectator, a scholar, an analyst. But something changed. Something changed in 2010. And immediately, everybody started to say, Larry, you have to reflect about this. This has to somehow inform. Um, it, it, you cannot publish the book. Without acknowledging that there has been uh, a shift, Uh, and the shift is from fan, which is an identity that I find crucial and I, I defend and I acknowledge. I mean, being a fan of drag and trans performance is very meaningful, but it is also meaningful to have done drag, especially because drag is such a... Um, uh, it's it's such a it's a practice that really embraces people without much experience. Uh, it is very welcoming to people with different levels of talent and skill. So Lola Bon Miramar sort of came about uh, as an embodied performance in 2010. It had been the name of my blog before that, but curiously, it was Larry writing in the blog Lola Bon Miramar. Miramar is the name of the neighborhood where I am from in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And Lola was just a feminization of my name or, um, of, a funny way to refer to me. Uh, and Von means from in German. So, so that was the origin of Lola von Miramar. So I am living in the Midwest. Um, I lived in, in, I I moved to Ann Arbor in 2003 to teach at the University of Michigan, and there's not that many Puerto Ricans in Michigan. So that was quite an experience, having lived in New York, in New Jersey, where there's very large uh, visibility of the Puerto Rican diasporic community. Um, fortunately, Michigan is very close to Chicago, um, so going to Chicago, learning about the Puerto Rican community in Chicago was important. Of course, um, Ann, Arbor and, uh, Ann Arbor is near Detroit, so learning about Detroit was also crucial. And so that's what I mean when, when I talk about that experience of being gay, Puerto Rican, performing in drag as a bilingual scholar and professor at the University of Michigan and sort of trying to position myself at the same time that I am writing about a set of artists, whether it's 10, 12, 14 of them, I'm trying to position myself in relation to them.
1: I know you're looking at specific artists and performers, but each chapter is framed by a larger theme. And I think at least it helped me think about, you know, different elements of my own research. And in the third chapter, you explore more deeply the issues of class or poverty. So I'd like you to explain what you mean by drag of poverty. And I'm going to shamelessly steal a question that you posed in the book because it's so good. What is the relationship between the stereotypical pejorative representation of women on welfare and the translocal drag of poverty?
0: Ah, wow. Um, so so as I mentioned, so the origins of this book were very much about entertainment, pleasure community. But at a certain moment, it became very clear to me that this book, this research project, because it's really more than just a book, there's a set of articles that also accompany this. It's also about the challenges, the difficulties, the violence, the poverty that marks transgender experience, that marks queer experience, that marks colonial Puerto Rican experience. So so I felt that, that, that need to, to acknowledge that, that it could not simply be all about joy, even though joy and, and humor are really at the heart. And actually, humor can sometimes be, oh, there's an airplane, um, humor, can sometimes be a strategy to negotiate um, violence and poverty and marginalization. So the third chapter of my book um, looks at a set of artists that negotiate the context of poverty in different ways. So Welfare Queens and the Drag of Poverty is about the way that um, people like Erica Lopez um, use welfare as a strategy to survive as an impoverished Afro-Puerto Rican performance artist and writer in San Francisco at a moment in which... She she simply did not have money to survive because in the United States, there isn't a strong support network um, for creative people um, who are not inserted in major industries. So she she creates she has this performance called The Welfare Queen, and she proposes that wealth that drag queens are the welfare queens or welfare queens are the drag queens for the 21st century or actually for the next millennium. And I thought that that um, assertion was so outrageous and perhaps inappropriate and, of, and offensive, but at the same time, it was so generative and productive uh, and, and fascinating because she's she creates these exaggeratedly feminine characters that sort of negotiate perceptions and stereotypes of blackness, of Puerto Ricanness, of womanhood, and then I thought this is a really useful lens to analyze what Holly Woodlawn does in Andy Warhol's film Trash. It's a really useful lens to understand the experience of somebody like the transgender artist Monica Beverly Hills in um, the fifth season of RuPaul's Drag Race in 2014. And it's a really interesting contrast to the politics of Sylvia Rivera, because Sylvia Rivera in the early 70s, together with the African-American activist Marsha P. Johnson, created a group called STAR, Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. And it was really about negotiating homelessness, negotiating incarceration, the experience of transgender women that were constantly being harassed and put in prison by the police, who were rejected from the mainstream, middle-class, white, gay, and lesbian movement. So poverty is um, an experience that marks Puerto Ricanness, especially in the United States, but also in the archipelago. It, it becomes a stereotype or a perception at the same time that it is a reality. So I thought, it it's just um, how, how fascinating, how crucial to see how different people approach this. In the case of Silvia Rivera, it's about encouraging self-sufficiency and community organizing. In the case of Hollywood Lawn, it's about taking advantage of the system. So Hollywood Lawn, who was an artist that was being exploited by Andy Warhol, At the same time, in a mostly improvised film from 1970, directed by Paul Morrissey, so um, Holly Woodlawn uses that space. She uses that space um, to envision what does it mean to take advantage of a system that is oppressive. She pretends to be pregnant, to try to get welfare. It doesn't work out, but the social worker is very racist, and she stands up to him. So the movie even though it is a farce it is very exaggerated it was really meant uh well Andy Warhol Andy Warhol's a quite complex figure he's not the most progressive figure but I was just fascinated about how Hollywoodland used that space as a actress who was part of Warhol's factory so so sort of to negotiate that that the the drag of poverty uh and just to see how artists can talk about, challenge, write about poverty in different ways. I don't know if I answered your question. Oh.
1: Yes, yes, you did. Um, so, uh, as I was saying, right, you have all these different uh, frameworks that I, I, I found particularly interesting that helped me with my research because I'm interested in how drag, right, this performance that's supposed to be saying something about gender also communicates so much about other identity markers and hierarchical categories, such as race, class, ethnicity, ability, etc. And so um, could you talk about another uh, concept that you articulate here, that will be on chapter five, where you uh, focus more directly on race. What do you mean by transloca drag of race?
0: So so that that is a chapter on Javier Cardona and how Javier Cardona really challenges Puerto Ricans to acknowledge their racism. And in, in that chapter, it was really useful to think of France Fanon and black skin, white masks, the perceptions, the stereotypes, the limitations, the prison, the prison of race and how drag performance, um, how transgressing gender on stage can also serve to highlight, to negotiate, to challenge, and to survive the prison house of race. So Javier Cardona, uh, in, in that piece, he's, he's really focusing on stereotypes. How in Puerto Rico, there's certain conceptions. Well, not only in Puerto Rico. Um, You can say in Latin America, in the United States, globally, about what blackness means, about what black people are like, uh, about it's 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 insane. It's uh, it's racist. It's horrible. Um, So how to use how to create a critique of race, whether it is by a black performer doing blackface on stage, whether it is by a black performer listing and enumerating uh, pernicious stereotypes that appear every day on television and in the media. So, so the drag of race is, is about acknowledging that race is a socially constructed category that marks our experience, that we negotiate, and that we can challenge and try to transform. So the drag of race, I, I say it is a burden. It is something very difficult, but at the same time, it, there is potential. There is a space of potential for transformation. And using drag to raise awareness about racism, about social exclusion, is something that some artists do, that they can combine Mix with or do at the same time that they are questioning gender and sexuality. In the specific case of Javier Cardona, I believe that he does an extraordinary job at demonstrating that in his piece, You Don't Look Like, which is precisely about being told um, by people, you don't look Puerto Rican because you are of African descent. So the insane, um, so the, the racist perceptions that all Puerto Ricans or all Latin Americans have to look a certain way. And if you do not fit into that pre-established conception, well, then your identity is challenged. And there's nothing more violent than to question the identity that a person is, is identifying with. If I tell you that I am Puerto Rican and you tell me that you don't believe me, well, because of your limited experience in, uh, in terms of the stereotypes or the experiences that you have had, um, that that leaves me without a base. You're, you're literally questioning my identity. And this happens every day. It happens every day for Black Puerto Ricans, for white Puerto Ricans. It happens for all Puerto Ricans outside of Puerto Rico. So the drag of race is precisely about creating a practice of resistance, um, an artistic aesthetic practice to question and challenge those social conventions and to try to envision something different. And in the case of Cardona, um, language is of limited use. There's only so much that we can do through language. So, So the body becomes a central space for that exploration and that challenging and dance. Dance becomes a strategy, a moment, a movement when we can try to envision something different and get beyond the impasse of the limitations of language.
1: Uh, as I as I keep uh, saying, your your book has so many um, brings so many great concepts. Uh, that, you know, go beyond the particular performances and performers that you're analyzing here and I think will serve as framework for for, uh, uh, other works in the future. So could you talk a bit about the difference and overlap, some overlap, between Transloca approximation and Transloca incorporation?
0: Sure. Um, So those are terms that I found useful to talk about Jorge Merced, from, from the Pregones Theater of the Bronx. And, and in that case, um, I was trying to think of, of the differences in the process of young, queer, boys, people, individuals, the differences between practicing drag, um, embodying drag, Dressing in drag, like literally uh, putting your body in in that space of exploration of transition, and uh, as opposed to to I suppose you could say the more visual. Um, the practice of watching drag or trans performance on television or on a stage and to, to understand how that actor, Jorge Merced, um, prepared himself to be able to portray a character that was, that is possibly a drag queen or possibly a transgender woman because, um, El Bolero fue mi ruina. The Bolero was my downfall which is a solo performance that the Pregones Theater created in the late 1990s based on a short story by Manuel Ramos Otero. So the speaking subject, Loca la de la Locura, um, we we don't know exactly how she self-identifies, if she identifies as a, a queer man, as a trans woman, as a, well, she's a loca. So clearly she identifies as a loca, la de la locura, uh, a queen of madness. Um, but then, like, how, how do you embody this subjectivity? So Merced, in an interview that I conducted with Merced, he said he, he mapped out very different experiences. One has to do with play, childhood play, the way that when we are children, we play with gender, we explore gender boys dress in girls' or women's clothes, women dress in male clothes. We are taught that there are these rigid divisions, but immediately we sense that we can transgress them very easily, that there is something delightful, that there is something subversive in this practice. So that is very much about embodiment. Not only the embodiment of actually doing, like playing with makeup, playing with clothing, but also experiencing violence. When you a parent comes and punishes you, when there is physical aggression against the child because of their gender play, that is very much about the body. That, that violence is felt, whether it is a slap on the face or whatever kind of violence. Those are traumas. Traumas that mark the body, that mark the psyche, that mark the experience. So, That experience of becoming a drag performer, becoming a trans performer can be marked by violence, by play, by physical experiences, but it can also be marked by spectatorship. So in Puerto Rico, it is very common to have drag performances on television. So in the 1970s, the most famous performer was Antonio Pantojas and Pantojas, who was a, really an extraordinary drag queen, very mordacious, very, um, very critical, uh, very political. In fact, Pantojas defended the independence for Puerto Rico. Um, so Pantojas was on television. Merced is watching the show. Merced's father comes in and says, what are you doing? And slaps his son because he does not want his son to be watching drag queens on television. So for me, that's a really interesting uh, moment. Um, you could say um, psychoanalytically, you could say um, somatically. It is that moment when spectatorship, when the approximation that you are, that mediated by media. In other, we learn about the world by viewing, whether it is viewing people on television, on the street, or in the theater, but we also learn about the world by doing. What we, what we experience in our bodies and ourselves. So I, I found Transloca approximation and Transloca incorporation interesting terms to kind of like mark, to mark that complex, the diversity of processes that lead someone to, to that experience. And that happens in different ways for different people.
1: For me, it was uh, reading uh, that uh, part of your book and, and the, the, the final chapter, understanding my, my place, right, In investigating drag as a fan. So that was, uh, I really enjoyed reading that. But to start uh, wrapping up our conversation, although I wish uh, we could stay here for a few more hours and talking about audiences, spectatorship, but also about bodies, right? You talk about the body of the transloca performer as a work of art and as language. I, I found that very beautiful and would like you to expand on that a little bit, but also talk about the role of the audience in this process.
0: Yes. Yes. So so the, the last chapter of my book is about transgender performers who have, have really transformed their body. And, and p- part of the audience experience is precisely celebrating, acknowledging that, understanding that that is art. So I focus on Lady Kateria, an extraordinary performer who I saw at La Escuelita in New York City in the Times Square area in the 1990s when I was a grad student. And she just had the most extraordinary charisma and skill at lip sync and dance, but she had also transformed her body and it was just dazzling. It, it, it was just overwhelming to understand that a per, that people have that capacity, that we have the capacity to transform ourselves and to, not, and to entertain, to create art, and to create community in communion with audiences through that process of transformation. So um, adoring Lady Kateria, knowing Barbara, her is is about acknowledging how a, a trans performer in a very run down Latinx nightclub with mostly working class patrons in a Times Square that at that time was still um a dangerous, sketchy, marked with prostitution and poverty. That there was something extraordinary happening then, there that could be compared to what people were doing in art galleries and museums. And when people go to a, a drag show, they don't they don't necessarily think of trans performers as artists who have and whose 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 material, whose media is precisely their body. So in the case of Lady Catiria, I was really fascinated because she did not speak. She lip-synced, but really her, her body became the site of transmission of information, of affect, of entertainment, of cariño, of amor, of community. And um, it's something extraordinary happened not only when she was performing, but also when audiences went up to give tips. So, so that in itself, it's not simply watching the show, but it's also going up and giving an offering, a gift, a donation, receiving an embrace, a look, a kiss from the performer. Um, that that is why drag is so incredible. In typical bourgeois theater, you know, you don't stand up in the middle of the performance and, and go give a, a dollar to, to the actor on the stage. But in a drag show, um, at least in the past, before COVID-19, before we started tipping um, on Venmo and, and PayPal and things like that, um, you know, uh, touching money and giving money to the performer was very, and receiving a, a, a hug. Or a kiss, or a look, or a touch was very much part of that physical experience. I was really interested in contrasting that very physical experience with with um, Lady Katerius' narration of self and with her discourse, because La- Lady Katerius does not speak. Um, Barbara, her, I'm sorry, Barbara, her speaks nonstop. So in a drag show, it is about language. It is about talking. It is about telling stories and jokes. But it can also be about not talking. It can also just be about dancing and moving and embracing and looking in a certain way. And different artists use these multiple strategies in different ways, depending on their goals, their skills. So one of the chapters of my book is about Freddy Mercado, who is a visual artist in Puerto Rico. He is on the cover of the book. He's really an extraordinary artist. He barely talks. It is very unusual for him to talk as part of his performance. Sometimes he makes noises. Sometimes he, he will utter some sort of, of sound. But it is much more typical for him to really focus on the communication that happens through costume, through movement through the body, through prosthetics, through wigs and makeup. So to understand the drag and trance performance move through silence and through voice, through the body and the creation of a new body or of an altered, I don't want, well, you could say artificial, transformed, a body of illusion. I mean, that—that that is precisely what makes drag and trans performance so extraordinary, that there is confusion, that sometimes as an audience member, you're very nervous. You don't understand what you are seeing. Sometimes you are fooled. So for many people, that illusion is that's a very traditional like in the like female impersonator. People would go to Las Vegas and, you know, you see a, a gender illusionist pretending to be uh, Lady Gaga or or uh, Barbara Streisand or Cher, Cher or, or Madonna or Donna Summer. Um, but its it's not just about pretending to be a celebrity. Uh, It's also about negotiating womanhood, but it can also be about negotiating monstrosity, about negotiating being an animal, about negotiating the line between the human and the non-human, what is alive and what is uh, dead or unalive, I suppose you could say. Um, so I'm, I'm really fascinated by drag and trans performance, the ways that, that drag and trans performance can allow you to negotiate all these, opposi- all these binaries. Drag and trans performance can serve to question, challenge, and transform our understanding of many of the dominant binaries in our society. And I'm just really excited. I just love how Lady Katiria, um, who died of AIDS in the late 1990s, and Barbara Hur, who is still very much alive and still very active in the New York scene. I just love how the two of them and so many other people um, use use the body and language and their relationship with audiences to transform our understanding of the world.
1: It's just so wonderful to talk to somebody who is uh, as passionate, as in love with drag as I am. So it feels good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) Isabel.
1: I I stole, well, I borrowed a quote from your book and put it on uh, social media that uh, attending a drag show is akin to going to church or to a religious celebration, particularly if we envision the performers as divinities. I say amen to that.
0: Amen. <laughs> but
1: before we go, um, could you do you ha- are you working on anything new that you would wouldn't mind sharing with us?
0: Yes, I am working on a book on contemporary Puerto Rican performance. So part of it is because I realized that I could not include everybody in translocas. Um, so there's artists like Miki Negron who really um, trained with Freddie Mercado. is a younger artist, but very influenced. In fact, a collaborator with Freddie Mercado. So I wanted to be able to write about people like Niki Negron, but also Macha Colón. Macha Colón is a, a rocker, um, also known as Gisela Rosario. Um, I guess you could call her, uh, well, she's a cisgender woman, that her, her persona, Macha Colón, is so over the top that it's, there's, there's lots of elements of drag in her performance. I'm also interested in people like Awilda Rodriguez Lora, who is a queer performer who has a character called La Mujer Maravilla, and in a performer like Eduardo Alegria, Eduardo Alegria, um, um, also a, a rock musician, Um, formerly from the band Super Aquello, and now from Alegria Rampante, um, who's just really hilarious and transformative. And then people like Jumpy Star. Jumpy Star is a a drag performer in a wheelchair who is a modern dancer in a modern dance company in Oakland, California. Uh, But he is from... Puerto Rico. And there's people like Las Nietas de Nono who are questioning and challenging anti-black racism and the experience of blackness in Puerto Rico, of Atlantic uh, blackness, uh, and community solidarity, uh, alternative perceptions. So in my my new project about contemporary performance in Puerto Rico, it's, it's really, it's an extension of Translocas, but it also moves in different Directions. There is some overlap, but I was just very excited to be able to continue writing about Puerto Rican performance. People like Aravind Enrique Adjantaja, um, the founder of Casa Cruz de la Luna in San Germán, who is really an experimental theater uh, author, a playwright, and performer who who just really creates ex- extraordinary um, plays that, that really turn all of our assumptions about Puerto Ricanness upside down. So I'm hoping that this book is not going to take me as long as Translocas did. Translocas took a really long time, almost 20 years. I'm really hoping that this book will be faster, that I will be able to write it quicker.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm already waiting for it. Can't wait. So um, let me know when you have anything new out, because I really love to read everything. (laughs) Larry, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you so much, Isabel.
0: Um, it's been really wonderful. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and I hope that all of the listeners um, of this podcast uh, will, will enjoy our conversation and um, will be interested in looking at the book.
1: I join you in thanking our listeners uh, for tuning in to this episode of New Books in Gender and Sexuality Studies a podcast from the New Books Network, and I just spoke with Dr. Lawrence LaFontaine Stokes about his new book, Translocas, The Politics of Puerto Rican Drag and Trans Performance, which was published by the University, Press, uh, uh, University of Michigan Press in 2021. I'm Isabel Machado. Until next time.